he noticed it on the news, it was only a couple of weeks ago, uh, that an oil painting which they had thought was done by Brett Whiteley, uh, a famous artist, it actually turned out to be a fake. I don't know if you heard about it in the news. The painting was found on the rubbish tip in uh, Tasmania and the guy who found it was a ex-uni art student and he saw the sign down the bottom of the painting, the, the signature down the bottom of the painting, Brett Whiteley, and he got really excited because a Whiteley evidently goes for anything over a million dollars. So the painting was sent off to the New South Wales Art Gallery and they had a good look at it. But after checking it out, they decided that really it was in fact a pretty shoddy fake. Uh, the date was all wrong on the painting. Uh, the technique, the brush strokes on the painting was all wrong. And it turned out to be a quite recent painting, but it had been stained with coffee to try and make it deliberately look old. And so they said, regardless of what the signature down the bottom says, the paintings are fake. Now, I mention all this because, in one sense, it's not all that different to what the letter of 1 John is about. 1 John is also all about identifying fakes. And it's far more important than identifying fake paintings. It's on about identifying fake Christianity. Because as we've noticed over the last few Sundays, when John wrote this letter, there were a lot of false ideas floating around the churches about Jesus and about what Christianity was all about. In fact, what you discover in chapter 2 is that this church that John is writing to, in this church, there's been a breakaway group that have left the church and they are now saying that those who have remained in the church that they're really not as spiritual as they could be otherwise they would have left with them which would be pretty unnerving imagine, imagine a group, a sizeable group left morning church and that sizeable group are now saying that those of you who are left in morning church you're on the wrong track you're actually not following the right gospel. That's what John is trying to write to, to sort out. And he effectively says, look, I don't care what the signature down the bottom of the painting says. If it doesn't have this or this or this, it's a fake. And I don't care what the breakaway group is saying. I don't care if they say they're Christians. If they don't have this or this or this or this, they are fakes. Don't be troubled by them. And so far, John has pointed out that real Christianity is all about the real Jesus, the Jesus whom John himself had seen and heard and touched. And we thought about that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, John also said that real Christianity is all about recognising that sin is real, that God is light, and therefore real Christians take sin seriously. But today there's more. This morning, there are some more marks of the genuine Christian. As today, John points out in these few verses that real Christians love to obey their Lord Jesus. Real Christians, they don't just trust Jesus. Real Christians do what, do what he says. Simple as that. And as with previous weeks, he explains this by firstly affirming a truth and then applying it. Verse 3, the truth affirmed. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now that's a pretty straightforward verse, isn't it? How do you know that you really know the Lord Jesus? 
How do you know that you're a fair income Christian and you're not just kidding yourself? Well, here's the answer. We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. In other words, you can't say you know Jesus and then go off and just ignore what he says. Because if you really knew him, you'd be doing what he says. It's pretty clearly what he's saying. There's a couple of things worth pursuing here just for clarity of thought. For example, what does John exactly mean here by knowing Jesus? Because, hey, Judas knew Jesus, but you wouldn't exactly call him obedient. And if you watch the Compass show on ABC most weeks, you'll hear heaps and heaps of non-Christian scholars who know a lot about Jesus. So what's this sort of knowledge that John has in mind here? What's the sort of knowledge that has the power to unfailingly produce obedience? Well, I think the next verse, if we have a sneak look at that, I think it helps. Verse 4. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, John's choice of words at the end of that verse is very interesting. The truth is not in him. In other words, it's a truth that's only on the surface. It's a truth that's never sunk in. It's a truth that's never really been tasted, even though this person may mouth the words, words about it. When I was growing up, we had a family friend who'd been conscripted to serve in the Vietnam War. And uh, our friend Bob hardly ever talked about it. But one day he did. One night Bob came around and showed us his slides, uh, which he'd smuggled out of Vietnam um, after the war. But before anything, before he showed us one picture, Bob effectively said, look, you don't know what war is like. You've seen it in the movies. You've seen clips of it on the news. And tonight I'm going to show you some photos. But at the end of the night, let me tell you, you still won't really know what war's like. Now we know what he was saying there, don't we? There's that sort of knowledge that only comes from having experiencing. There's a knowing that only comes from taking a reality sort of really into yourself and tasting it. That is the knowledge of Jesus that John has in mind here in this section. It's an experience of Jesus. That's not just on the surface of your life. It's a knowledge about Jesus that has seeped down into the very centre of your life. It's a knowledge that's in you. And you see, when you have that sort of deep, internalised knowledge of Jesus, John's point is that it will produce obedience. Which is, of course, raises the other question of, well, how? How does that actually work? How does that sort of deep knowledge of Jesus guarantee obedience? Well, basically, it revolves around the character of Jesus. And in many ways, it's building on still what we saw last week. That God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And so when you draw close to someone like Jesus, you're drawing close to someone of unfailing goodness and unfailing openness and unfailing love. And for John, it's unthinkable that you could draw close to someone like that and to not do what they say. To draw close to someone who, who, is, who is goodness in perfection and to not trust that person and to not obey that person. 
Well, that could only mean that you don't really believe that he's light. I read a very interesting, uh, sorry, I heard a very interesting interview on the radio the other night, uh, which was basically all about arranged marriages. You know, where the parents sort of get to pick who their, um, who their children will marry. It seems that in the UK, there's something like 40,000 of these arranged marriages every year. And what's interesting is that whereas the national divorce rate is running at 40%, terrible figure, 40%, the divorce rate amongst arranged marriages is running at 5%. Now, my first thought was, of course, that the divorce is only low because of cultural reasons. You know, <coughs> arranged marriages, they happen, in, they happen in Muslim cultures, Indian cultures, cultures where it's far more difficult to get a divorce and there's a lot more pressure to stay married. And so, yeah, their divorce rate might be low, but what you've got instead are just lots and lots of people who are staying married but are really unhappy. When they actually surveyed the couples in arranged marriages, that wasn't the case at all. Heaps of them are really, really happy. On the radio, they interviewed one such couple and they reckoned that their happiness in the end boiled down to trusting their parents. The husband said that he knew his parents loved him very, very much. The husband said that he knew that his parents probably knew him better than any other person knew him. And so if his loving, knowing parents reckoned that a certain person was good for him to marry, that was no small thing. And so he was prepared to go ahead with it. Now, speaking as a parent, I'm thinking this sounds a fantastic idea. But you see the logic of it. If someone really loves you and someone really does understand you and knows what's best for you, why wouldn't you do what they say? How much more with God? Remember, he is light. And he loves us with a perfect love. And he knows us inside. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So why would we not do what a loving God who knows us tells us to do. It's all adding up to this fundamental truth that if we come to deeply, personally know Jesus, you will obey his commands. They come from a loving master. You see, having laid that foundation now, John applies it in two ways. He firstly applies it with a word of comfort and then a word of challenge. Both of them are introduced with the phrase, whoever claims, which unfortunately in our NIV is mistranslated a little bit, but verses 4 and 6 start with the same phrase, whoever claims. The first one's a comfort, the second one's a challenge. Let me reverse the order and take the challenge first. I'll explain why in a moment. Firstly, the challenge of obedience, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, there's a very definite edge to that verse, isn't there? This is where this chapter, this section gets a little scary. Whoever claims to live in him, whoever reckons that they're a follower of Jesus, whoever calls themselves a Christian, must walk as Jesus did. It doesn't say oh, it's a really good idea to do as Jesus. It doesn't say oh, it's highly recommended. It's must. Obedience is not an optional extra to the Christian. Obedience comes as standard. Which is, of course, what John would have heard Jesus himself say time and time again. Because the real Jesus, whom John saw and heard and touched, 
He always was on about this sort of thing. There was a time when Jesus lamented of Israel. They come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And another time Jesus said to the crowds, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? See, the thing for Jesus is not who hears him. The issue for Jesus is who is putting his words into practice. And so you and I might come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus' response is, well, it's good to hear you say that about me, but let's firstly sit down and look at how things went last week. What TV shows did you watch? What websites did you visit? How are you going with your temper? Let's have a look through your bank card statement and see what you've been spending your money on. What about the jokes you told at work? What about the things you said about other people at school? See, according to Jesus, and according to the Apostle John here, whoever talks the talk must walk the walk. And if you're not, you're a liar. Simple as that. It's a very confronting truth. And look, of course, this isn't to say that the follower of Jesus is perfect. There's a lot in the New Testament that points out to us that obedience is hard work. And yeah, we'll still mess up. And uh, we still throw ourselves on the grace of God. This side of heaven, we're not going to get perfect. But we ought not to use that to crawl out from under the weight of these words and to use it as an excuse for disobedience. John wants us to feel the force of what he's saying here. Whoever claims to live in Christ must, must walk as Jesus did. But there's not just a challenge to these verses. There's a comfort as well. It's the comfort of assurance. Verse 4. The man who says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands, is a liar. and The truth's not in him. But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Now that last sentence for verse 5, I think that's the critical one. This is how we know that we're in him. You see the assurance in that statement? Being obedient to Jesus gives you the assurance that you are in fact one of Jesus' own people. And the reason I wanted to finish with this one and do, do it second, even though the the verses are in the other order. It's because I think this is, this is the dominant tone of this section. Look at how he started it in verse 3 again. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. See, the dominant tone here is one of assurance because remember the situation? A group has left the church and they're saying that those people back in the church, they're not as spiritual as they could be. You lot back at the church who haven't left with us, you're, you're sort of second-rate Christians, if Christians at all. And John is writing to say, don't be troubled by their criticism. This is how you know whether you're a Christian. We know we've come to know him if we obey his commands. So don't be un unsettled by what other people are saying, no matter how religious or spectacular they may seem. I've been reading about uh, Rodney Howard Brown uh, recently. He's the fellow who uh, sort of was into the Tor Toronto Blessing, if you remember that, from a few years back. Uh, blessed are you if you don't. Apparently these days, Howard Brown is into animal noises in the spirit. 
that when the spirit comes on you, you sort of grunt and squeal and bark. And people who are giving him a hard time about this, he's actually cursing them in the name of God because he said that this is all coming from God. And if you're not into it as well, well, that's just the sign that you don't fully have the spirit of God, that you're not the real deal. There's another movement called the gold dust movement. Uh, People are convinced that invisible gold dust is falling down on God's people from heaven. And they say that the fillings in their teeth are changing from uh, a mountain into gold. And the lady behind it is saying this is a sign of God's blessing. It's a blessing on her ministry. And we can have it too. If you just have enough faith, the same thing can happen. But I guess if it's not happening, you, you don't have as much faith as you need to have. Now, I realise that that sort of stuff is on the extreme end of, of things. But that sort of thing comes to us in so many different ways. There are churches here in Dubbo and they'll tell you that you're not a Christian unless you've had a certain type of spiritual experience, unless you've spoken in tongues, unless you've gone through some sort of exuberant buzz, unless you've had some sort of wow experience, you don't actually have the Spirit of God. And that can be genuinely unnerving. If you're here and you're feeling a little bit worn out in your faith and things are hard, nothing much apparently special in your life, and someone comes along and says, well, maybe nothing's particularly special because maybe you're not the real thing. Maybe you're not experiencing God the way you should be. Otherwise, you'd be experiencing more victories in your life. Things would be easier if you're really one of God's own people. That can be a little unsettling. And John is saying, don't be troubled by that. Here's how you know that you are one of God's own. You're careful about what you watch on television because you don't want to fill your mind with the things that are unhelpful. You're careful what you say at work because you don't want to get into the office politics and gossip over morning tea. You're careful at how much alcohol you drink because you don't want to be mastered by anything. You're working really hard at keeping your patience with that person who's really getting under your nerves. You're seeking to be kind and compassionate, even though that's not always easy. You're conscious and you're, you're conscious and you're really working hard to not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You don't cheat on your tax return. When someone gives you more change at the shops than you should have got, you give it back because it doesn't belong to you. You're working hard even when the boss's back is turned. Now, friends, I know that many of you here are living exactly that sort of life. And I want to encourage you this morning because all those things, they can seem so small and ordinary and difficult and sometimes they may actually be making life more awkward for you than it could be. Because everyone else at school, everyone else at work, everyone else in the sporting team, they're into doing this sort of stuff or saying that sort of stuff and and you're not into that. And so there are times when you're feeling really the odd one out. And John is saying, you are the odd one out. Isn't it great? You're one of Jesus' people. And the fact that you are different shows that. We know, we know him because we keep his commands. 
In his book, Knowing God, uh, which is a lovely book to read, J.I. Packer describes a conversation he had with a Christian bloke who had, whose career had effectively been shafted because he was a Christian. Packer says this, I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects for academic advancement by clashing over the gospel. But it doesn't matter, the man said at length, for I have known God. Now Packer goes on to say what an encouragement that fellow was. That here in a life that wasn't going all that well for him, where things were not working out his way, yet he was able to have a sense of calmness, a sense of peace, and he was able to draw real reassurance from the fact that he knew God. And that's the sort of feeling, they're the sort of thoughts that John wants us to be able to have as well. John wants us to be able to draw comfort from the certainty that we know God. And he wants you to be consoled in the midst of a life that mightn't be working out all that well at the moment. And he wants you to be reassured with the truth that you are one of Jesus' own. It shows because you're seeking to be obedient. Because it is exactly as Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Obedience isn't easy. And obedience can often make you just feel the odd one out. But John wants you to be comforted with the fact that obedience means you're one of God's own. And that's a wonderful truth. I'll pray. Father God, thank you that you are light, that you love us perfectly, that you know us completely. Thank you, therefore, that to be obedient to you is not a burden, but it is a wonderful blessing. And thank you for encouraging us this morning that obedience to you may put us out of step with this world, but it is simply a sign that we are one of your people. Thank you, Father. And help us all the more to strive in our small groups and in our big meetings. Help us to strive to keep being obedient and to excel at it. Amen. As we as we sing our last song now, the collection will be taken. And if you're a